Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Better by Association, an original podcast produced by the Texas Society of Association Executives. I'm your co-host, Stephen Stout, Executive Director with TSAE. And I'm your other co-host, Katie Markard, Marketing and Communications Director with TSAE. Welcome to Episode 5, Stephen. Yes, number five. I can't believe it. We are just trucking along this year. I've really enjoyed all of our conversations this season, and today is going to be absolutely no different, I'm sure. I couldn't agree more. Today, we're going to be talking about mentorship. It's a great topic. Katie, have you ever had a mentor in your life? You know, I've had several people at different points in my career who I would consider a mentor. I worked for my dad during high school and college, and I learned the most from him about customer service and member relationships. He was a general manager for the golf clubs in our area, and he was just really good about learning and getting to know his members. I think he really laid the groundwork for me when it comes to helping others and treating people right. So I I do consider him a mentor. I think the person I consider a great career mentor for me was my first boss out of college. I really thought the world of her, even though she was tough. I worked in an advertising agency and I would bring her my projects that I was working on and I would walk out of her office with red pen marked off. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a humbling time for me, but it really did teach me a, a lot about the marketing process and the value of brand guidelines. And she was tough and it was great for me. So I hear her voice in my head to this day when I'm designing anything or working on something, and I'm actually really thankful for it. So, but what about you, Steven? I'm my, I have mentors sort of in buckets, right? I have professional mentors, I have personal mentors, but it's funny you say that about the red pen. One of my first bosses in the association space, she had a pink pen. And so <laughs> anytime I would, like you, work on projects, bring it to her and show it to her, I'd leave that office, my paper would be covered in pink. I love and that. at the time, very frustrating, you're right, because you know, you think you're starting out, you know, all the answers and you're like, why doesn't she just do this? Why am I doing this? If she's going to correct everything I'm writing. <laughs> but then now looking back on it, she was helping me in, in such great ways that I didn't even know. You know, I, I can write an email now and I, I look at it from a, several different perspectives and she's just one, right? Of so many. The role we're in too, we're lucky that we get to see our members do what we do. So that's unique and interesting differently. And so I've always felt that every relationship I've had with one of my board chairs, that has really, they've served in a mentor capacity to me because we can talk candidly about what things are going on because they understand the lingo, the language and and what we're doing because they're doing the same thing. So I feel like I have a new mentor every year. So I get a little, I'm a little lucky that way. Lucky. That's great. We heard our thoughts on the subject, but let's step it up a notch and bring in the resident expert on all things mentorships, Alex Richardson. Alex Richardson is the CEO and co-founder and tech enabler behind Art of Mentoring an HR technology company that designs strategic mentoring programs for corporations, associations, and government departments in Australia, Asia, and North America. Alex co-founded The Art of Mentoring alongside his mother, global mentoring expert Melissa Richardson in 2013. The combination of Alex's deep understanding of technology and Melissa's mentoring mastery presented an opportunity to leverage technology to mobilize strategic mentoring programs and help associations attract, develop, and retain their members. Alex has built some of the world's largest mentoring programs across a variety of sectors and specializes in programs that create transformational mentoring relationships, shift culture, and solve complex problems. You know, until I met Alex, I didn't really realize there was this true structure and methodology to having a successful mentor-mentee relationship. I just thought you phone a friend and say help, and that was that. (laughs) 
Well, that's why Alex is here today to talk to us on how perhaps we can finesse that method into something truly meaningful. We are so happy to have Alex with us today. Alex, we are excited to talk to you about mentoring and all its glory, and we're going to sort of attack it from all sorts of sides. But before we get started, we always ask our guests the same first question, and that is, in our space, so many people have stumbled across associations or even working with associations. Uh, Not many of us went to school for this or um, had any kind of training. So I'd love to hear, what's your fallen story? How did you fall into this industry and in your current area? Thanks, Stephen and and Katie. I'm I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about mentoring. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, Great question in terms of the fallen story. And in order for people to understand it, I think it's important for me to share my origin story of how I, you know, in the first place got into mentoring. I was actually trained as a sound engineer and I was a musician touring the country in Australia. You can probably hear my accent. Apologies. <laughs> didn't pick up on it. <laughs> and I was touring around the country and internationally with music. Did some amazing stuff there. My mother has actually been running mentoring programs for over 25 years. And we founded Art of Mentoring, which is the business I am CEO and founder of together. And my mother was a marketing executive, most notably in Unilever. She set up her own marketing agency as well and did a master's of organizational change, psychology and coaching 25 years ago. She did that because both my parents were actually getting into executive coaching when executive coaching or coaching in general was seen as voodoo. It was like, get out the cross and the garlic and what is this thing that you're talking about? Who raised vampires? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And so my mother did a master's and during that time that she was doing her master's, she had a project that she needed to do and she decided to set up her own not-for-profit called Marketing Women's Australia. And what it was intended to do was to get more women into leadership positions within the marketing profession, that Mm. it was more than 50% women in the profession, but less than 50% by a long shot were in leadership positions. They were mostly interesting. Yeah. So my mother set up a not-for-profit on her own, so with some other people as well. And as a part of that, they did networking events and workshops and things like that. But they also set up a mentoring program that was designed to give support from experienced people who were leaders in the marketing profession to support other women to come up through the ranks and to you know really help them carve out their career aspirations and ambitions. And that's where she started. As a result of doing that, she reached out to a a man in the UK, Professor David Clutterbuck. He is the number one researcher and writer on the space of mentoring and coaching. He's written over 80 books, quickly climbing in that space as well. He founded the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, which governed the standards, the international standards for mentoring and coaching programs, which my mother was a trustee in the committee that wrote those standards. So I was very lucky in the fact that I stand on giant shoulders in that respect and we founded the business together. Actually, the way that it started for people's interest, because it's a great story, is I was on the back porch of my mother's house, as you often know, I was talking (laughs) about the music industry and saying, I'm thinking of a change. She was saying how, you know, when her and my father finish up, they're both consultants. It's not going to be something that they can pass on to anybody or keep going. And I said, have you thought about productizing what you do? And she said, yes, would you like to help me? And I thought, I walked into that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I love my mother. I just want to say that. But I'm not sure she and I could work together on a major project like this. So kudos to the two of you. I hear that a lot. And we say, 
you know, the, the business has been super successful and we've implemented hundreds of mentoring programs globally for different associations and corporates and others. And, you know, we are involved with a lot of the research and the thought leadership in the space of mentoring and for which I'm really glad. But the number one success story from our business is that my mother and I still love one another. Um, <laughs> that's a big one. That's important. Through the 10 years that we put this together. So to loop back into the original question, the fall into in the sure. industry of associations, noting in that origin story, we then set out once we actually set up the business and said, well, where should we actually position mentoring first and who should we go to with our mentoring expertise to help with? And we decided that professional and industry associations were the first place we'd start. And the reason we decided there was because we believe that cross organizational mentoring is is really, really powerful. And associations are in a really unique position to connect people across organizations and to provide that experience that you wouldn't otherwise get from your own organization. It also diffuses some of the political natures of the organizations that people are in so you can feel comfortable and safe to share what it is that you'd like to share. And you've got a wealth of knowledge within your membership that's untapped, right? You've got these members that are hugely experienced and hugely, you know, accomplished in their careers who are yearning to give back actually and to be a part of the association more. And so we actually discovered that that was a really great space for us to play in and to start from. So in Australia is where we started and we started with, you know, in particular professional services associations to begin with. Then we branched out into helping with mental health and diversity and so on with mentoring, you know, youth mentoring, mid-career mentoring and getting to that executive level leadership and career transition mentoring and so on. So we've done so much with that space in the association world. And the final thing I'll say is we just absolutely love working with associations because they're good people. They really give a damn and they're just you know, really humble and really great people to work with. And, you know, we find that the mentoring programs that we design and we set up because when they come to us, they want to do it properly and they want to design it properly, that they really work well and they live for a long period of time and the mentors keep coming back, the mentees come back as mentors and so on and so forth. And, you know, that culture of mentoring gets embedded within the community and really thrives and ripples outwards. And we, we just absolutely love that. That's awesome. That is a really... Really great fallen story. I have, that's the first one I've heard, I think, that has family ties to it. So For sure. I, lo- I love it so much. I love hearing about your mother and all the accomplishments. Yeah, what a what a lady. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you asked me who my mentors are, and I'll tell you a bunch of people, but probably my biggest influence and my biggest mentor has been my mother. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. See, I would say that too, Alex, but for a different reason, like just get brownie points, <laughs> but it sounds like yours is legit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess the next question is, we've heard a lot about your mom, but this is kind of two-part. Why do you think mentoring is so important? But then also, what do you think makes a good mentor? Mm. Um, I mean, we've implemented so many programs over the years. And over the last 10 years, I've been involved in so many matches, tens of thousands of people being matched over the years. So I've got a good understanding and a bit of a flavor about what makes a good mentor and why mentoring is so important. To start with, I think it's good to begin with the definition of mentoring that we subscribe to, which is developmental mentoring. It's generally where a mentor is somebody with some lived experience in a particular area that can guide a mentee on a journey that they're going through. And they'll be there with, you know, as a sounding board, 
to be able to work with them as a cheerleader, to be a challenger and so on and so forth through the process of the journey that the mentee is going through. The mentor is fundamentally changed by the relationship too, and I can talk about that later. But why I think mentoring is so important is because for a mentee, you are always in the circumstances in life where life is busy, where you're going through the motions, it's often fast paced, you're in the weeds of everything that you're doing in day-to-day life. And it's sometimes great just to be able to express what it is that you're going through and put it out there because it's all in your head. See it in front of you to be able to tangibly move pieces around and then re-ingest it internally to be able to say, hey, this is actually the way that that's panning out and to be able to kind of get an objective view of your own circumstances. So that's one of the great things that a, a mentoring relationship is so powerful for. I think what really makes a good mentor sort of dovetails into why mentoring is so important. So a great mentor is somebody that doesn't necessarily put themselves up on a pedestal and say, I am a fantastic mentor and wear this badge around necessarily. They take their their role seriously and they want to get better at mentoring, but they also believe that there's a constant development piece in their own development around being a great mentor and they're constantly seeking to do that well. And they're wanting to volunteer their time and altruistically be there, but it's not about their accomplishments as a mentor by seeing the mentee accomplish something that they want to see the mentee accomplish. It's actually just, how do I show up for the mentee effectively? How do I actually be the best mentor and the mentor that they need at this given time? You know, for Art of Mentoring, we've got two geese as our logo. And the reason why we chose that is that we believe a mentor can lead from any position. They can lead from in front, by example. They can be behind, and I'm not sure if you know this, but in the V formation, the geese at the back honk to encourage you to keep going and say, keep going. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And then you can fly side by side and do things collaboratively as well. So, you know, I think both of those things are important to consider and why mentoring is so important. The other thing I'd say is that what we're facing globally is an unprecedented amount of change, of information overload, of disruption, of different circumstances that a lot of people have never, ever faced in their lives before, either generationally or just in general from the point of view of a pandemic, you know, and the way that things are actually related to that technology disruption and so on and so forth. So. For me, mentoring is about creating human connections. And there's a beautiful quote in uh, Lisa Fain and Lois Zachary's book, The Mentor's Guide. And they talk about in their foreword about how a tree grows more effectively in a felled forest than it does in a plain field that was always a plain field. And that's because the root systems that are pre-existing from that felled forest guide the roots of the new tree to the water table and you know for me why mentoring is so important is because what is innately human is what is going to thrive and survive and in a day and an age where we're worrying about ai disruption and technological advances taking away our jobs and you know how do we cope with the rate of change and the amount of work that we've got to do in this new world of you're always on and so many things to do and you've got to know so many things and so on and so forth just come back to the simple fact that we're human and we thrive on human connection 
mentoring is a, a super important thing for people to spend their time on and put some time aside to actually reconnect with people and to create relationships at the core of what they do. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, you're so good at speaking, Alex. I just feel like you throw <laughs> us on lunch. Huh? Yeah. Thank, thanks for, thanks for coming. <laughs> but no, we do have more questions that log off. Uh, so, um, one of the things I want to kind of look at from a different perspective is kind of like from the mentee perspective, right? So I'm a mentee and, I, and I've got my mentor. I know, you know, someone I'm familiar with, but don't know. How do I become comfortable with sharing information with a mentor that perhaps I'm not as well connected with at a personal level? Like how, how do I reach that level of comfort? Yeah, I love this question. You know, the first thing I would say is that we hear a lot about mentees feeling uncomfortable or awestruck or, you know, maybe a little bit trepidatious about the idea of coming into a mentoring relationship where a mentor is potentially much more experienced than they are in their line of work and what they do and maybe somebody that they've looked up to over the years and so on. The first thing I'll say is that mentors are going through the same thing. They are wondering, am I going to be a good mentor? Can I do this well? If they're a good mentor, they're thinking of that. And if they've not done it before, they're not 100% sure. So the first thing I'll say is you're not the only one thinking about, hey, is this comfortable for me and is this going to work out? And there can be a bit of an awkward dance at the beginning as you get to know one another and you start to set goals and just leave space for that to happen because that's okay. That leads me to my first tip, which is spend the time, fools rush in, spend the time to actually get to know one another. Build the rapport and trust up front. Don't dive too quickly into the goals and into the outcomes and into the mechanics of the mentoring relationship. Spend the time up front to get to know one another, feel comfortable, set the rules of engagement. So agree on what you're both actually willing to do within the relationship. So if you're a mentee and you're wanting them to open up their networks and introduce you to people, ask them if they're comfortable doing that. And if not, why not? And what are the, the circumstances that we can do? And what am I looking to get from this? And so on. So we call that contracting for success. Agree on how often you're going to meet, where you're going to meet, all of that kind of stuff as well. The other thing I'd say is that be prepared that, you know, setting goals up front can actually shift and change over time as, like, as the time goes on with your mentor. What we often see is that people set initial or surface goals. They've got particular project. They've got something that they're dealing with right now, but times change. Things change over time. When, you know, three months later, you're dealing with something completely different. And I think it's important for mentees to be willing and able, and mentors too, to reset goals and to realign themselves in the relationship around what they need and what they want to get out of the relationship and let the conversation deepen. We talk about the seven layers of dialogue. And what we're talking about there in developmental mentoring is it's exactly that. It's developmental. It develops over time. You build rapport and trust. You delve deeper. You start to build some understanding of other person and they develop understanding of you as well. So there's this opportunity to go into some of the underlying fears and, and things that are going on on a bigger picture level and look longer term rather than shorter term and so on and so forth. So yeah, becoming comfortable happens to be with being comfortable with the unknown and the uncertainty, looking for some structure maybe as well as another thing I could give as a top tip is 
either from your program that you've got or looking online. There are some great books I mentioned, Lisa Fain earlier, I can't um, recommend her or not. She's got some great books that you can go and take a look at, you know, like a, a Guide to Bridging the Gap in Mentoring and the Mentor's Guide are great books to look at. But if you're in a structured program, maybe you've got access to some resources and some some guides. Maybe even, you know, your association has released some articles and tips. There's stuff on Forbes and all around the internet that you can go look at. So look for some ideas and ways in which you can actually navigate the relationship as well. Right. That's great advice. I think also for people, especially in what we do in associations, we all have our circle of friends that maybe aren't in our space and you may ask advice for things that we do, but our world, I think our world is so unique that sometimes it helps to talk to someone who lives in your space works in your space to get that kind of information, you know, because we have some blase friends are like, just tell that person where to go. And you're like, well, they're my board chair or they're my board member. I can't really tell them where to go. Um, I have to sort of finesse it and work with it. So I think, especially in, in our space, I think associations and mentoring programs kind of are very cohesive. They go really well together and it's a, a great opportunity for our community to help each other like we do often do, but it may be in a more structured environment. Yeah. Well, and keeping with the theme of the mentee, Let's say I am early in my career and, you know, looking to be a mentee. What is it exactly that I'm looking for in a mentor? Yeah, great question. And some of the easiest ways to answer that is actually what not to assume <laughs> is going to be the best thing out of a mentor. But what I would say is what you're looking for in a mentor is somebody with some lived experience in a similar field that can guide you along the way. And that might be high level though. And that's what I mean by what not to kind of assume in what you're looking for in a mentor. So one of the the kind of common pitfalls I see in mentees is when they go, I need this person to have a specific experience in a specific area and to be able to give me specific guidance on that technique or that skill. And that can be very limiting into who you find. And it can mean that the mentoring relationship becomes really shallow. For example, if you're in the legal profession or engineering or marketing or whatever the kind of profession or the industry is that your association is or your actual work is, you might be looking for somebody who's been in that profession or that industry, but not necessarily so minutely to the point of they need to have had this specific lived experience within that space. So, you know, you might benefit from saying, well, look, I'm really looking at leadership capabilities and stepping up into a leadership position within the next two to three years. So someone with lived experience in the similar field that you're in, who's been a leader and been a manager, might be of a different size organization. It might be in a maybe a different sort of avenue or, or specific specialization than you. It gives you an opportunity to broaden your perspectives and your opinions of Actually, what's possible when you have somebody with different lived experience as well. So the first thing I'd say is don't box yourself in by creating too many criteria about who you're actually wanting to be matched for. The other thing I'd say of what you're looking for is somebody that is actually dedicated to committing the time to the process. One of the questions you might ask a mentor is how often can we meet and can we lock in times in advance? and put them in our diaries or calendar. I, sometimes I, I wonder whether I'm saying the right rhetoric with my Australian. <laughs> you make it sound very fancy when you say yeah. diary, so stick with diary. Okay, good. I will. <laughs> Thank you. So a committed mentor and somebody that's not going to cancel on you at the last minute and not reschedule and you have to chase all the time is somebody that you want to. So if you're 
reaching out to somebody as opposed to applying into a formal program where somebody is aware of the time commitments and has altruistically put their hand up and volunteered and said, I'm willing to do this. Then when you're informally reaching out to somebody, I would say definitely try to set some expectations up front about what the time commitment is and get stuff in the calendar and the diary up front because you really want to make sure that the time is committed to over the time frame that you guys agreed to in that space as well. That might feel a bit uncomfortable, by the way, but it's totally worth doing. Asking them to commit to actually six months or 12 months or 10 months or however long you think that you guys need. Meeting once a month for an hour at a time at a particular coffee shop or on Zoom or however, that's a really important piece of the puzzle as well because, as I mentioned earlier, the mentoring relationship develops over time. And it's important that the time is there for you both to explore and to get the most out of the relationship possible. Yeah, I like that you touched on a little bit, Alex, that there's work on both sides of the coin that need to be done for it to be successful, right? Not just a mentee saying, okay, you're my mentor, fix all my problems, go. So there's more work on both sides that have to happen for it to be a truly successful relationship. Oh, absolutely. At the end of the day, we talk about how a mentee is in the driver's seat and needs to take responsibility for the relationship because at the end of the day, the mentor is volunteering their time to help you. So you need to respect that. You need to make sure that you come planned and committed and prepared to those relationships to ensure that you get the most out of it. The mentees that do that are the ones that get the most out of their relationships. So you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't do that. The other thing I wanted to say quickly because it's come up in my mind a few times about the couple of questions that you've asked is there are times where mentoring happens informally and it can actually cross between coaching, mentoring, management, and you can kind of flip between those moments. So you mentioned earlier, Stephen, about the whole piece of, you know, maybe your board member or your boss or someone like that is being a mentor for you. And there are moments when they're being a mentor, there are moments where they're being a boss and there are moments when they're being a coach. And the gray area between three and so on and so forth. So those mentoring moments are when they've said something that has profoundly impacted the future trajectory for you in a positive way. And that might not look positive at the time as well, right? It might be actually leading by example of what not to do. That's right. about that as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, an interesting form of mentoring in itself. But there's a, a, a piece around when mentoring is often occurring around the place as well. And in a formally structured program, you create a little bit of structure and a bit of scaffolding that's there and, and available for people to actually navigate the relationship. But that informal relationship happens in everyday life as well. So looking at the other side of the coin, Alex, on the mentor side of things, how do I know when I've reached mentor status, right? How do I know when I've got that flag or how do I know if... Because in our space, so many of our people, and we find it a lot with our own members, they're so humble. They think maybe that they don't see themselves in that space or they don't see themselves as maybe one of the icons we all know that have been around for like 20 plus years. But we have a hard time convincing people. You have so much to share. You have done so much already in your career that other people can learn from you coming behind you. Is there a moment you're like, okay, this is it. I'm a mentor now. I know I can be. Like, How do you reach mentor status? The first thing I'd say is that the best mentors are super humble and don't necessarily see themselves as being on that pedestal as the best mentor. And what they might not realize, especially if they've not been in the, involved in a formal program previously, is they're probably mentoring intuitively right. and 
on an ongoing basis regularly anyway. So, you know, that mentor status is probably gained already. But, you know, if you're in a formal or an informal relationship that has an agreement that we're in a mentoring relationship, you're officially a mentor and you're starting that process of learning how to be an effective mentor. And in my opinion, and I guess I'm biased because I'm in the industry or the profession of mentoring, I believe that you're always working on that skill. It's a skill that you never stop working on. And there are skills of mentoring that you never stop working on, right? Like, for example, listening. I'm a big believer that you can never be a, an absolute pro and reach the pinnacle of like, I'm never going to get better at the, the technique of listening and improving my listening capabilities. So, you know, for me, the best mentors don't put themselves up on a pedestal and say, I'm going to change my mentee's life and I'm going to do all this kind of amazing stuff for my mentee. And this is what I envisioned for my mentee. No. How do you turn up for the mentee and be the best person that you can support them for what they want to achieve and what they want to get to? And how do you do what's necessary for them? So that might be challenging appropriately or uh, just listening, or it might be summarizing back to them what they're thinking so that, like I said earlier, they can externalize what they're thinking, reorganize it and re-ingest it. You know, these are the, the qualities of a mentor that make a good mentor, as we were talking about earlier. But as far as reaching mentor status, one thing I tell people that they don't quite understand or realize is that mentoring has been around for time immemorial, right? It's not a new concept. It's actually an, an indigenous concept. It's something that's been happening for tens of thousands of years. And, you know, what we're doing in Art of Mentoring is we're professionalizing it in the modern context, but we're, we're really deeply rooted in the original concepts of what mentoring is. And we're not trying to reinvent the wheel per se. We're trying to enable it with technology and new thinking, but we're paying homage and respect to the original traditions of what mentoring is. And I talked about that you know, root system of guiding the tree roots to the water table. The truth is that there is an innate ability and an intuition towards mentoring for a lot of people, but there's an opportunity to refine that skill just with anything else. And I'd say this as well, in association professionals, more than most people that I meet, there is a need to feel like you've got the answers and the skills and the capabilities and the training in order for you to be able to do what it is that you need to do because you're often in a profession or in an industry where you are the pillar of excellence for your peak body, for your people, right? And so you're often telling people you need the certification or you need this level of training and skills development in order for you to be good at what you do. And I'd say don't wait for yourself to have all of that and put that amount of pressure on yourself. Like definitely try to develop the skill, definitely take that seriously, but just dive in and be a mentor. Um, and because you're thinking about whether or not you'd be a great mentor, I'd say that's exactly the quality that you need to start with to get started and be a good mentor. I love that. That's great advice. Those of us who maybe are on the fence of being a mentor, uh, I think you just pushed us over. So thanks, Alex. That was a great explanation. Yeah, and I think you've given us some great tips on how this relationship should work and some good guidelines. But is there anything that you feel are some common mistakes that are made during the mentor-mentee relationship? Yeah, so great question. And I'd say we've covered a bit of it already. But to rehash some of the things that we've spoken about, the first piece I'd say, and I'd say time and time again, is don't rush in. So 
make the time to build that rapport and trust and ensure that you and your mentor, you and your mentee have got that earned trust. It's not something that's just given. You need to build that trust around the cone of silence, the fact that what's said in the relationship won't be shared outside of the relationship, that the mentee trusts the mentor to expose themselves vulnerably in the conversation around you know what are their fears or their challenges and so on don't expect the mentee to be willing to do that immediately and mentees don't rush in to do that you know build the rapport and trust and make sure that you feel comfortable to do that before you you know you rush in with those pieces so that's the first thing that i'd say the second thing that i'd say i spoke about time commitment earlier mentors do not cancel and don't reschedule your mentee will lose their interest and their excitement and their feelings that they're appropriately valued to, you know, have your time as a mentor. So definitely if you have to cancel and stuff happens, life happens, just make sure that you reschedule, make sure that you find another time. And that goes for mentees as well. You know, respect your mentor's time. They're volunteering their time to help you here. So definitely make sure that you reschedule if you, if you have to cancel a meeting. Some of the other common mistakes that I see is mentors not being able to tame their advice monster. So don't dive in and give advice. You might think you've got the answer, but that's not necessarily what you need to do in the conversation. There might be times where it's appropriate or where you've been asked to give advice by the mentee, but actually you should start by listening reflecting and trying to guide the mentee to their own conclusions, collaborate with them on a solution, ask them questions, share stories, tame that advice monster. Don't jump in with advice every single time. I love that, Alex, because I feel like in our personal relationships, when we're talking about things like, do you want me to listen or do you want me to solve this problem? Let me ask you that first before you start talking. Because I I am naturally, I'm a solver. Like, oh, this is what I think you should do. And people are like, no, no, I don't want that. I want you to just be mad with me at this moment and then we can get into solving. But I love that you're like, don't rush in. That's good advice, I think, for a lot of things. Yes, yes. There's a wonderful author by the name of Nancy Klein, and she's been an executive coach for some of the most influential and powerful people in the world, from CEOs of large companies to presidents and so on and so forth. And she wrote a book called Time to Think. And then she wrote a follow-up sequel book called More Time to Think. (laughs) And what she talks about is the listening space is sacred. And that if you're really actually genuinely interested in what the other person has to say, you often get the situation where people actually break down into tears. Oh, wow. Right? Because they've never been fully listened to in that way and been seen as being, you know, that interesting. And if you're jumping in to give advice, you know what's happening? You're not actually listening. You're thinking about the advice that you're going to give while they're talking to you. Right. So if you give them the space to talk and you just listen, the transformation that can happen for somebody is profound just from that circumstance. And you'll know what to say in the moment when you finish listening and the space is there and you don't have to fill the space all the time either. It's a misconception that you have to be constantly adding value. Right. You know, it might just be one thing that you say in 12 meetings that you have with your mentee that changes the trajectory for them. And they might not even know the fact that that's happening. The most profound mentoring moments are ones where somebody has said something to you that challenged you, that said one little piece of, of wording or challenging the circumstances that you've actually got going on. And 
you didn't realize it at the time, but you look back five, 10 years later and you look back in hindsight and you say, oh my goodness, that just really changed the trajectory for me in terms of what I was going to do for the rest of my career and my life. And I feel like uh, you brought up a good point, Alex. I think like it's okay to say, I don't know. Like, I don't have the answer right uh, right now or I don't have it, but let's talk through it. Absolutely. I mean, we talked earlier about, you know, what makes a good mentor and what to look for in a mentor. And I mentioned don't box yourself in because your mentors have networks and they might say, I don't have the answer, but I know somebody who does. Exactly. And that's okay because that person is now going to be giving you teaching or advice or, you know, some skills transfer and stuff like that from the network, but that's not necessarily the goal of the actual mentoring relationship. There might be times where it delves into that and it's appropriate, but as a general rule, there might be some times where the mentor says, and that's totally okay. I don't have the answers, but I know somebody that does. That's great. Any other advice to share for mentors that maybe you haven't touched on, even though I feel like you've covered quite the gamut here? I mean, look, I could talk about it for hours and for days on this piece, but I'd say just Take your role seriously, but don't put too much pressure on yourself. And the way in which you take your role seriously is continuous development and honing of the different skills that you can bring to the mentoring relationship. So start looking for ways in which you can develop those skills. And believe me, those skills will be amazingly transferable in your leadership capacity, in the way in which you relate to your significant other and so on and so forth, like we talked about with listening and the examples that you were giving, Stephen. You know, I think a great mentor, you know, we talk about what's what makes a good mentor, what makes a great mentor is they're just constantly looking for developing themselves and improving those skills that they can use to help the mentee in the best way that they can. Great. So Alex, why do you feel it's important to have structure to this mentor relationship? We've seen so many people, you know, I've seen the relationship like, oh yeah, I'll be your mentor. And then you hear from the mentee, like, I can't get a hold of them or I can't find them or... Um, they're just so busy. They don't have time for me. And I feel bad constantly asking them. So I'd love to hear how you think structure might help with that. Yeah. I can kind of talk to this in two ways. I mean, we run structured programs with our clients or we, we teach them to do that and we help them to do that. And a structured program and process is kind of like guidelines. It's not like hard and fast rules. That's trying to tell you, you speak about this in this relationship conversation and you know, take it in this direction and so on and so forth. And really, you know, putting very, very strict guidelines or guardrails around the conversation piece. What it's there for is scaffolding to keep the relationship on track. Because one of the most common reasons for a mentoring relationship to fail is because the mentor or the mentee get busy and they stop communicating with the mentor or mentee because just life happens and things happen, right? And then the mentor or the mentee say, well, have I done something wrong? Why has this actually occurred, right? So in terms of the structure in the programs that we run, it's really to help people stay on track. It's about training up the mentors in some basic techniques and some ways in which they can feel comfortable with the way in which they show up and some of the things that they do in the conversation. For the mentees, it's like, how do you take responsibility and how do you drive the relationship? Like that's I talk about that, but that might not be innately easy for people. So the structure is really around how do we create some structure around that? I think if you're talking about structure for the mentor and the mentee, it's again, scaffolding around their relationship. So it's 
contracting for success. It's agreeing on how often you're going to meet. And those pieces that I said, logistically get out the way up front before you dive into the relationship, because that's a super important piece of the puzzle to ensure that things don't fall off the rails. At the end of the day, that's what structure's for, right? It's to ensure that things occur naturally in that. And what I'd say is recently, and over the last year or two, I've been hearing a lot of stories because of COVID and the circumstances of mentoring relationships going online where people would have preferred to do it face-to-face and the struggles they have in you know, maintaining that regularity and that building that rapport and that trust and having effective conversation and all of that kind of stuff. So in a virtual relationship, structure is even more important because at the end of the day, again, life happens and things get distracting and so on and so forth. So it's super important to be able to come to the relationship prepared with some, you know, some things in which you're going to to talk about from a mentee's perspective, but also how do I navigate this and how do I actually, you know, engage in this way? So the structure for me is, yeah, really about the scaffolding and the guidelines to help the relationship not fall off the rails. So I want to ask a personal question here, Alex. One of the things, you know, you are, but for lack of Better description, Mr. Mentoring, right? So I'm curious to know, with you, can you tell us about a mentoring relationship you've had that was really successful or, or affected your life in some way? Sure, I'd love to share some. And I, I, first of all, I'd say, you know, I've whilst I've worked on a lot of mentoring programs and I've been involved in lots of training of mentors and so on and so forth, I don't wear that as a badge as I'm the expert. <laughs> like there are so many, there are so many people globally that are doing amazing research in this space. And I've mentioned a couple of the names, but there's many people that are forwarding the work of mentoring. And there are many people that have come before me that have done so much of that work that has enabled the way in which I work. So, you know, I'd say in some ways, they're my mentors as well. And I'm standing on giant shoulders in that respect, but I'll share a personal story. So I'm, I I happen to be dyslexic. I was growing up through school and in high school started to become quite disengaged with the academic kind of structure of the school that I was in. And I had a bunch of teachers that didn't really understand what was going on for me because I was diagnosed late. And I had two particular teachers that saw in me a real interest in music. And they saw that spark and they saw that opportunity for me to actually do that music piece. And they just created the space and they encouraged me and supported me to really take on that music element. That happened to get me through my high school. Like I would not have got through high school if it wasn't for the fact that these teachers did that. And I didn't quite understand the profound effect that that was actually going to have on my life moving forwards. Because then what happened there was... I then moved into sound engineering and as I, I became a musician and I had some amazing experiences as a result of that. And it wouldn't have been the case if it wasn't for those people that actually saw that spark and saw that you know potential and just created the space. Um, in Indigenous culture, they often talk about, or First Nation culture, they talk about holding space. And it's something I think that in Western culture, maybe it's sometimes not done super effectively. And that's what those teachers did for me. They held space for me to explore my musical talents and for me to explore that route. And it gave in me a new lease of life to, you know, really strive for something and for excellence again. Um, And to feel like this was something that I could be accomplished at and win at. And then fast forward to my, 
my next mentoring relationship, you know, when I was early out starting the business of art of mentoring and I actually didn't have a mentoring background or a background in building business or the leadership space as well. I said to one of my mentors, well, I don't know if I've got what it takes. Maybe it's better for somebody else to actually do this. And they said, no, why, why wouldn't you learn? And why wouldn't you push yourself to strive to do it and keep going? And it was just that simple question. Yeah. It's just one simple question. Like that I had so many conversations with that mentor over time um, around many different things. And that one simple question, just challenging my thinking in a polite and a gentle way that just completely changed the trajectory of my professional career and, and art of mentoring itself. I know there are so many other people that have had experiences like that. So, you know, that, that would be the personal experiences that I, I would share. I've been lucky to have so many mentors yeah. in my life. And, you know, something else I'd, I'd say is that um, to wrap that up is many people don't actually realize that they've had mentors until they reflect yeah. on it and they think about what mentoring actually means. And they think about, hey, actually, you're right. There was that one conversation that shaped my life too. Hey, that was a mentor for me. Yeah, I didn't realize right. that. I didn't get that label on that actual like conversation on that. Yeah, mentoring. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, and now it's time for our podcast last question that we ask everyone. And just to kind of tie it back to our TSAE members and community. But why do you think being engaged with organizations like TSAE is so important? I love that question. And, you know, it's interesting for me as, an, as a millennial, and I, I'd like to speak about this because in my time working with associations, time immemorial in the last 10 years of working with associations, and I know oh, in the association world, that's not a lot of time, so I get it. But <laughs> every conference I go to, every place I go to, it's always, hey, how do we engage the younger members and get the younger members on? And it's always about that next generation, that next generation, that next generation. And then the generation joins and so on. So I'd say, you know, they say your heyday, your earning capacity, your professional, you know, career is really between 35 to 50. And that's when you're starting to think about, you know, membership organizations as a real way to forward your professional standards and your ways of doing things. And so, you know, I think it's super important as you're building your career and your professional acumen that you join membership organizations to network, but also to build your own capabilities and capacity of what you do. And I think that TSA, you know, I've been engaged with you guys and working with you guys on, uh, you know, in the membership and working with mentoring programs and so on. And I'm super excited about the mentoring program that you guys have got coming up and opening up soon. Um, so too, yes. you know, little shameless plug there as well. Yeah, no, um, away. you know, I have a great deal of respect for TSA and I would encourage any association executives to join because A, you've got a staff that truly care about what it is that makes great association professionals, but also supporting association professionals in a time that post-COVID is really difficult with you know, running events, which has often been the non Jews revenue, bread and butter for these associations and these organizations, you know, redefining what happens with technology and keeping up with the times and recruiting that next generation and so on and so forth. You might be a new association professional to the area, coming from corporate or coming from government and wanting to learn the space, or, hey, you might be an association professional for many years and you've been working in a particular lane but you're wanting to get into management or you're wanting to get into a more leadership position. And this is a great place to learn, to network, find mentors and all of that kind of stuff. And I know 
from engaging with hundreds of associations over the years that TSA is one of the really great ones, that they're really doing a job where they're putting their, their heart and soul into this and they're really doing everything possible to try and support the community and, and do that piece. The final thing I'd say is the human connection piece that I talked about earlier and how important that is. And in our busy lives and in the political natures and the intense natures of the work that we do in our day-to-day lives, it's often difficult to be able to connect beyond our loved ones and our friends with other people in a safe environment and an environment where you can share and test things and know that you don't have to be the expert all the time and that you're always being tested or being watched and people are looking to see the quality of your work. So I think it's an important thing to join associations like TSAE to network and to connect with other people in this day and age when you know, everything is online and we're connecting via Zoom and all that kind of stuff. Like go to the conferences, meet people, network and build relationships and share your own stories because you've got more to give than you really know. Thank you, Alex. That was amazing. Uh, we really enjoyed our time with you today that, you know, your work is inspiring, your story is inspiring. And we're, we're really pleased that we get to partner with you to continue inspiring association executives, especially here in Texas and beyond. So thank you for your time today, Alex. We really enjoyed our chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the work you do. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I see it. Thanks, Katie. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. We appreciate it. Thank you again to Alex Richardson for joining us today. It was so lovely talking to him. And you will have a chance to see Alex in person this September at our New Ideas Annual Conference. He will be there to facilitate an interactive discussion with two TSAE past chairs and talk about their previous experiences of mentoring. Check it out. That's going to be a good one. If today's conversation inspired you to start your mentorship journey, why not consider joining the new TSAE Better Together Mentor Program? Applications for both mentors and mentees are open now, but space is limited. So visit tsae.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today and join us each month as we have more conversations with members from the association community. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you want more information about the Texas Society of Association Executives, be sure to visit us online at tsae.org. On behalf of TSAE, Katie and myself, Stephen Stout, see you next time. Bye.